I've almost hit the 29 year mark at CNN. And it's been a very steady, almost tortoise-like situation for me. And I think that's fine. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone. It is Carly. Today, our guest is Dana Bash. Dana is an Emmy-nominated journalist. From logging tape to producing hard-hitting segments and covering multiple presidential elections, she has basically done everything under the sun during her career at CNN. These days, she is CNN's chief political correspondent and co-anchor of the program State of the Union with Jake Tapper and Dana Bash. Dana, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I'm a big skim fan. So this is, I'm fangirling right now. Thank you. Oh my God, stop it. I'm fangirling. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like over the last two and a half years, I'm like, who do I talk to the most? And while I I didn't talk to you, you were just like on my TV all day, every day. So I just feel (laughs) we have this connection. I I, (laughs) definitely, I was sending you messages through the television. Of exactly. Course. Well, we like to warm up the show with a lightning round here. It is quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? I'm as okay. ready as I'm going to be. All right. I think that's fair. <laughs> what is the first job you got paid for? The first job I got paid for was at Van Riper's Farms in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. I was 14 years old and I was able to get paid because it was a farm. So it was legal. And my job was to, you know, those uh, straw baskets. If you go to a, like a farm stand, yeah. apples are all in the basket. Love those baskets. Yeah. So my job was to put the apples in the baskets properly. I love it. Were you like putting them in artistically with vision or was it just was about just- volume? It was about volume and and it, the balance between volume and not having the apples topple over. Would you mix like the green and no, the red? No, no, no. no that Good would be question. bad. Okay. Each flavor yeah. of apple needed to be on its own. Well, here's a really important question. What is your favorite type of apple? They didn't have it there, but my favorite type of apple is Honeycrisp. Uh, it's my Number favorite Number two is Fiji. Number three is... Uh, totally different vibe is Granny Smith. Are you a baker? Is that why? No. Oh, God. No one would want that. Okay. Thank (laughs) you for clarifying. Are you more likely to have a secret athletic ability or a secret musical ability? Probably neither. (laughs) Well, what do you have a secret skill? I mean, how, how, how liberal are you with the word athletic? I'm pretty liberal. Okay. So if that is the case, I'm a pretty good ping pong player. Oh, okay. I feel like, so here's what I've heard. If you're good at ping pong, I've heard pickleball is like all the rage right now. I, and people, it's all the rage. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And my, my son, who's almost 11 and I cannot get to play tennis with me for the life of me because he's a baseball player and he doesn't think he can regulate between whacking it and hitting it properly. He tried pickleball recently with friends and he loved it. So that's on my list this summer. Okay. I think it's on my list too. What is your go-to karaoke song? 
my go-to karaoke song is Don't Stop Believing by Journey. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Oh my goodness. Again, how liberal are you with the word negotiated? Like liberal. Is okay. So it's definitely on any given day with my son when I'm okay. trying to convince him to do something that he doesn't want to do, like brush his teeth. <laughs> I'm just serious. Like that's, that's like something you got to draw a hard line. There. That's a seriously intense negotiation. Okay. Well, I think I'm on your side of this table. Here. <laughs> You've done a lot of impactful interviews. When you think about like which one has sort of just stayed with you the most, which one would you say? My interview with John Lewis while walking over the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Wow. Hands that's down. That's amazing. Hands down. I, st- I still remember it vividly. And it's, it's, I know this sounds super corny, but it was like a spiritual experience. It really, I, can, I cannot imagine. Yeah. You have had cameos in many different shows and movies playing yourself. What is like the one show that you, you haven't been in that you're like, sign me up? Real Housewives of New Jersey. <laughs> Listen, I know the EP. I know the EP. I might be able to help you out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that would be uh, greenlit from from where I sit. Understandably so. I mean, I have so many favorite shows. I'm a huge streaming person. I watch a ton of scripted. So let's even just stay in the HBO family so maybe we can make this real. Yeah. Make this work. uh, I mean, Succession, because who doesn't love Succession? My show that I'm obsessed with, which I don't even see a way for me to get on it, is Hacks. Have you been watching Hacks? I am obsessed with Hacks. I finished it over the weekend. It's honestly one of the greatest shows I've seen. Ever. Ever. I love Gene Smart. I think that you need to be on Hacks. Okay. Let's make it happen. Can we make that happen? Yeah. And I'd like to be an extra. Okay. Well, yeah. We'll go together. We'll do it. Great. We'll do it. Okay. Great. Last question. Finish this sentence. What best describes your workday? Working nine till... Let's not start that with nine. Okay. What best describes my work day is every day is different. Today okay. I'm talking to you. I'm home. It's the morning. It's inconsistent. Inconsistent. Yeah. I, I, I talk for a living. So thank you for helping me <laughs> with the word. Um, every day is different, which is actually one of the things I love about it. Okay. I want to jump in and I'm going to start with like early part of your career. And I, I want to sort of level set that for those that are not familiar with production life or, you know, kind of working in TV, so much of how networks work is with a lot of freelance help. I started my career like, and Danielle did too, like freelance and, and permalance. And it's a really big deal to get hired full staff at a network, like a really big deal. You started freelance at CNN. How did you convince them to make you permanent? When I started freelance at CNN, I was still in college. I went to GW, the George Washington University, shout out to my alma mater. And at that point, internships were not paid. Now, for the most part, they're paid. So we did a lot of work for free. I'm sure you did as well. And it was for the experience. It was my second semester of my senior year. And I was like, okay, I got to get paid for something. And I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. This probably has happened to you and to so many people li- listening. So much of it is about being ready, but so much of it is about luck and timing. And I had that luck and timing thing working for me because I called this guy in the newsroom at CNN in the DC bureau. And I said, hi, 
I got your name from blah, blah, blah. I am a student here. I'm willing to do whatever. And he had just had somebody come up and complain to him because they couldn't get a day off because there was no one to do their job. And so he said, oh, can you come in and learn how to do the feeds room? I said, sure. I had no idea what that meant. So that's how I was able to get my foot in the door to do freelance while I was still in school. And on the permanent gig in the DC bureau at CNN at the time, there were almost no entry level positions. But I got lucky because, again, I was in DC. There was a job, permanent position in the tape library that came open, which came open like once every five years at that point. It was very rare. So I applied and I got it. And I got it right after I graduated from college. And I started actually, what are we? Yeah, I started uh, the end of June, 1993. So I'm coming up on my 29th anniversary at CNN. So one of the things, you know, I started this saying, I felt like I had a connection with you. And I think part of what reinforced that when I was reading about you is that you started your career, like not only very happy with this, but wanting to be behind the camera. And yeah. so that is something that like Danielle and I talk a lot about. We were very happy being producers in our, in our old careers. We're talking to you now, you're, you're not producer, like you, you are somebody that, that's on my TV every day, all day. Walk me through that transition. Like what changed? It's such a good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that that way. So I was a show producer. So when I, I went from the tape library to show world, meaning I became an associate producer on the weekend public affairs shows. So I was booking guests, writing scripts, uh, in the control room, helping time the show, putting the program together. And I really liked it. And I learned a lot, but I thought, you know what? I really want to try news gathering, which is a completely different aspect. What uh, does that mean? So news, those news reporting is going out in the field and getting the information that you bring back to the newsroom or you get right on the air. And so I switched over. It was a lateral move. In some ways, it was a step back to the assignment desk, which is the place in any newsroom, television newsroom, where, I mean, the name kind of explains it, where the assignments are given out. And at the time, there were a lot of people on the assignment desk, and we really shaped the stories that we were asking reporters to cover. And so I would help them put together ideas for how to cover that story. And at the time, really for the whole, I would say, first 10 years of my career at CNN, it was really bare bones. There were like very few people who worked in the DC Bureau and really across. So like, if you can do it, go out and do it because we need you to do it because there's nobody else here to do it. So there were so many times where I was needed to go actually not just sit in the bureau and make the assignments or create the story, but go out and do it. And so I would go out with political reporters. I would go out and do interviews. And then the Bill Clinton scandal, everybody calls it the Monica Lewinsky scandal, but I'm determined. I appreciate that you're calling it the call it that yeah. uh, because for all the reasons we know and everything that we've learned and all the mistakes that we, the media writ large made, but that happened. And it was really all hands on deck. When the impeachment trial happened in the Senate, I ended up going to the Capitol just to help cover the trial. And I fell in love. 
I said, this is amazing. You get to talk to senators, talk to their staff, see them, see what's going on. And the 2000 presidential election came around. The reporter producer team who were in the Senate, they left to go cover the campaign and a job opened to be a Senate producer. And I got the job and I learned how to report and I learned how to get sources and to understand stories. And I started to break some stories and one thing led to another. And there was a job opening as a correspondent at the White House, covering the White House for CNN. And they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yes. And I, it was horrible and sucky. And it was like, I was the worst. I cannot tell you how bad. Why were you bad? I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And it's, and it was even worse because I was a producer. So I knew how scared I should be. Now there are so many print reporters or non-TV people who are on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. Back then, 2002, yeah, it really wasn't the case. So my first live shot, Carly, was on the White House lawn in my life. First live shot. I'm like, was, I want to throw up for you. That's very I, scary. No, no, I actually <laughs> almost did throw up. I actually almost did. When you think about your like big transition that you made that ended up being probably the best thing you ever did, for those that are thinking about like, I think there's another part of the business I'm interested in and I don't know how to like talk to my boss or I don't know how to talk to my peers. What's your advice to just how to think and approach a transition? Don't be afraid to take that risk because it is a risk. There's no question about it. And it is scary. I was scared out of my mind. When you mentioned your peers, there were a lot of people who were like, okay, but you're probably in line to be a senior producer or an executive producer. Like, why would you do that? Even the person who was hiring me at the assignment desk was like, really? You want to do this? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, I really do. It really looked like a step back to a lot of people. And it's because I wanted to try something new. And especially when you're younger, and it doesn't matter how old you are, you should always be willing to try something new. But if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? And so I think the answer is try to tune out the noise and have the conversations with your bosses or with the people who can help get you there. And to have the reasons at the ready why you want to. First, you have to decide for yourself what those reasons are and have you know tough conversations with yourself. And then once you get there internally, articulate it so that you can articulate it to the people who you need to, to convince. The news industry or TV industry in particular is known to be really competitive. How did you navigate it then when you, when you were coming up and how do you navigate it now? Well, it is of course competitive, incredibly competitive. I feel really lucky because my mother's generation, the generation ahead of me, they fought the fight for us. Believe me, we're not done. There are a lot of things that are really hard and harder for women, but it's nothing like it was the generation before me because there were quotas. I mean, my mom actually, just like my dad, they both went to journalism school. She started out in TV news and it was the late sixties and there were actual spots for women. And so can you imagine the competition between women? And of course the men created the competition, but That was the reality for women in TV news at the time when it first started. And so that's why I say I feel so lucky because there are so many women. You can always use more. But because there are so many women, there is a real sisterhood. Some of my closest friends are women I work with 
some older and some younger. And some of the younger reporters, I, I feel a kinship with because I'm watching them do what I described to you before. There's so many. And honestly, knowing that they know that they can come to me anytime for advice makes me happy. And frankly, I go to them sometimes for advice. And also, I have a lot of good female friends who are real competitors at other television networks who I've become close with. And a lot of it is just because we have a connection and we can speak the same language and understand the challenges that a woman has in TV news, especially when you get to the point of being a woman who's a partner, being a woman who's a mother, being a woman who's a boss. And it's a quite a unique set of challenges. I want to talk about personal life for a second. We've had many episodes in the show where we talk to different female leaders about like what the transition was like when they had a kid and how to think about where their energy was spent and their mind share was spent and not to give up their career as well if that was what they chose. But you have a especially interesting situation where you had your home life also at work, where yeah. you were at one time married to a coworker. And now one of your coworkers is your ex. Right. <laughs> and like, I'm like, all oh, the power to you. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, like, I don't know if I could do that. I guess my, my, my question is, is like, how were you able to navigate that in like the best of times, navigate that in probably what was not the easiest of times and then navigate that today? Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, I love it. Okay. So I have a phrase, which I, I, I don't think I've ever said in public, like as a mom, you eat shit. you just do. Right. And that's what it was at the beginning. But I have to be totally honest with you, Carly. It is, I feel again, very lucky because my son's father, my ex is, is a really, really great co-parent. I mean, it's, we're recording this in the morning on a weekday and already we have texted probably 10 times about the logistics, about baseball, who's got the baseball stuff, about a end of school pool party and who's going to get it. And, oh, and then by the way, we each have a dog, which is our son's dog. So now we coordinate the dogs going back and forth too. And I just feel lucky that that's possible because I know that there are a lot of really, really bad situations where that's not possible. And it just, it doesn't work but- for the kid or the parents or anybody. What I'm actually fascinated by, because that's amazing, and obviously that's so lucky for your son to to be able to have that. But still, not easy. I mean, no, and I can't imagine it is. But uh, but I think all things considered, we do focus on him. It's all about him. What I'm fascinated by is again in the best of times and maybe the hardest of times. Like when a lot of people go to work, they get to at least in part of their brain turn off home. And I am curious what it has been like to be at work and either literally look up at your TV and be like, there's my ex or one moment, there's my spouse and not to necessarily have that separation all the time. What is that like? Well, it's not just looking up at TV. It's being on his show. Yeah. My answer is, is probably lame, but it's, it's, it, I feel like because that's always been the way it is, it's a, it's kind of a non-issue, but I completely understand for people who work in normal jobs for, to look at that and say, that is so weird. I don't understand how that works. Maybe it's because we met at work and that's the, that's the context yeah. in which I, we've always known each other first and okay. foremost. Maybe that's the answer. 
you have said your career has been like an exercise in patience. What does that mean? There are a lot of overnight successes. There are a lot of people who just either have a moment and then their star goes into the stratosphere. They get their mojo really young. And none of that is true for me. Like I said earlier, I've almost hit the 29 year mark at CNN. And it's been a very steady, almost tortoise like situation for me. And I think that's fine. I really do. And what I mean by patience is that my motto has always been put your head down and do your work. Are there times where I get competitive and I say, excuse me, like I should have this position or I should have that assignment. Absolutely. We all have to stick up for ourselves, especially women. But that has not been the trajectory of my career. And that for me has served me well. It's been the best. There's a a stereotype of Gen Z, and I would say the younger millennial generation, not having patience. But like, and I'm going to say with reason, why? Like, because many of them, including myself, graduated college entering a financial crisis, come of age during a pandemic. A lot of things that other generations have been able to sort of wait out, younger generations haven't had the ability to. So there's the negative stereotype of, you know, they move jobs a lot or like they're not patient at work. I'm curious how you sort of reflect on that because in your career, like the patience has really served you and, and clearly been a, an area that you've leaned into as a great strength. What is your like advice for those that are kind of newer in the workforce facing a lot of sort of external things that have nothing to do with them? but as a result, have created a generation that's known as impatient. Yeah. I I think that you're right, that there is good reason for them to be impatient because things do move faster. I mean, I know I'm going to sound like such a dinosaur, but when I started at CNN, there was barely an internet. It was barely email. We didn't have cell phones. And so the whole world was slower. So I, I almost didn't have a choice but to move slower and be a bit more patient. And now that's just not the case. So it, it is understandable. It's a tough balance between being impatient and getting the experience that one needs and having the, the information, experiential information under your belt to get to the next step. I mean, I have to say some people just don't need it. I did, but some people just don't. I'm thinking about Caitlin Collins, my amazing colleague who is 30 years old and she's our chief White House correspondent. And she earned that spot. She didn't need that experience. She just had it. She's, I don't know if she's an old soul or, or what it is about her DNA. She didn't need it. Some people don't. I did. And, um, and I, and I also, that's a a very interesting, like self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. She just didn't, doesn't, she's a rock star. And I think though that, so we're talking about patience, but there's another aspect of your generation of the younger generations that is also extremely beneficial in the workplace, not just in TV news, but across the board, which is they don't take 
Like they're the ones who are raising their hands saying, I'm sorry, you can't talk to me like that. This is not the way it should be. Whereas Gen X, boomers, we just, for the most part, sucked it up. Mm -hmm. And they're teaching us not to suck it up. It doesn't have to be like that. You are not just an anchor and correspondent, but you also have to, to lead and manage a team. And you've had to do that in a pandemic. You've had to do that amidst a lot of transition happening at CNN and your parent company, amidst a launch and kind of shutdown of a new arm of the business of CNN Plus. What, like, what has that been like to just be a manager? Well, I just want to say, I don't, like in the technical business term, I'm not an actual manager because I don't like do reviews and things like that. You get to do the good part of being but a manager. I, but, I, but I hear what you're saying about leadership. Yes. And I, I don't know, my dad was in TV news for 40 plus years. So maybe I got this through osmosis from him, but I just think it's just being human and on a human level, when you feel very appreciative of something that your team does, tell them and just be communicative and accessible. Maybe it's also because I did all those jobs. I know what it's like to be on the other side. So I think having a real team sensibility is key. I want to end with, I'm going to summarize. We had a few listener questions, so I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I I think that it really hits a, a, an interesting point, which is a few people wrote in and, and said, you know, I'm watching a lot of my peers get promoted or move up and I can't help but feel like a little pang of like, why not me? But I'm also really happy for them. Quick one line, best advice for that feeling. It's totally legitimate. And <clears throat> I'm going to talk like a millennial or Gen Z person, honor that feeling. And uh, don't feel bad about both being happy and being a bit jealous because that's normal and it's human. Who else should we have on the show? Oh my gosh. I think some of the younger women who are in my business, they're going to give you such a different perspective. I love talking to you. Thank you so much oh, for, for coming on the show. This has me. been such a treat. Thank you for informing us every day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.